Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto trading and investing to NFTs, decentralized finance, and so much more. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell financial products. This podcast is sponsored by CoinFlex, the home of crypto yield. Whether you're passively managing money or taking an actively managed approach, you can earn and trade crypto easily on CoinFlex, which sees over $2 billion in daily trading volume. CoinFlex is committed to making crypto derivatives yield accessible to everyone, whether you are investing hundreds or thousands of dollars and more. With a newly launched automated market-making product called AMM+, you can earn yield on crypto by providing liquidity into the futures markets. The AMM Plus is 10 times more capital efficient than other automated market makers and offers multiple collateral types so that you can earn more with less. Interested in learning more about CoinFlex and trying out the AMM Plus? Head over to coinflex.com AMM to get started and let the market work for you. This week, I chat with Alex Rivkin, Chief Product Officer at Copper, a leading digital asset custodian and trading service provider. I'm incredibly excited to share this conversation with you guys because this marks the launch of the CoinFlex and Copper partnership that will allow Copper's Clearloop clients to trade and earn interest from FlexUSD, the world's first interest-earning stablecoin. Through this partnership, over 300 institutional asset managers in the Clearloop Instant Settlement Trading Network will also be able to use FlexUSD as collateral to trade on the CoinFlex exchange while securely storing their assets offline and off the exchange. Again, I'm so glad to invite Alex onto the podcast to share more about the Copper platform and what this integration means for their institutional clients. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Alex. Welcome to Crypto Unstacked. It's so great to have you on the show with me. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Alex, today we're going to talk about all things Copper and the wonderful things that you're doing with the international network of institutions who are fairly active in crypto trading and crypto investing today. But first, we'd love to just learn about yourself. You're an entrepreneur, and I'm sure over the years, you know, you've learned a lot of lessons building and growing businesses through the ups and downs. And I'm sure this has really impacted the way that you lead Copper today as the chief product officer. So we'd love to hear some lessons from you. Yeah, I, I'm one of those guys who spent roughly 10 years in finance and then had enough of it and thought there are places where you can enjoy yourself a little bit more and have a little bit uh, more expansive impact than, than you can as a part of a bank or, or a broker. And back in 2016, I was working in the Middle East at the time and I flew back to London and launched my first startup which was quite an experience, I can tell you. And there are a lot of, in terms of the lessons, there are lots of things you discover about yourself and, and the limitations and the things that you didn't know about yourself when you're there on your own in front of the market with a co-founder. If you're lucky, I would actually, by the way, recommend everyone to have one. Do not be like me. I started my first startup as a sole founder and I admire what uh, our founder does every day because I wouldn't be able, I would never do it again, I can tell you. Our Dimitri Tokarev, our founder, is the sole founder and I, I don't know how he managed to pull it off, really. 
So I launched the first startup. I took it through a couple of successful small funding rounds, and I ended up actually doing another project on the side of it with one of the prospective investors in that venture and ended up running a company for them. That company was called Mode, and I was basically the, the junior partner and ran the company for just about a year and a half. Besides that, I ran a consultancy that basically focused on helping the companies, the corporates and, and startups build the MVPs, proof of concepts of various products. Mainly we focused always on the regulated space because, again, you know, when you're building something for the, for the organization, when you have to look over your shoulder to, on, at, at what the regulator thinks, it impacts a lot what you can do and how you do it. And it's kind of a very important skill set for anybody who is thinking of doing something in finance. It's very different to creating an e-commerce business or, or anything along those lines. And that, that impacts a lot of the decision-making on a day-to-day basis and a lot of strategic direction of your business. In terms of the, the lessons learned, I would absolutely, first of all, I would absolutely recommend entrepreneurship to everyone. At least try it once in your life. It's amazing. It's the best job I ever had. It's most demanding. It's most rewarding. It's very good to have some people you can trust or important to work with people you can trust, you can rely on, you can confide in. Uh, so find them as early as you can because that's, you know, people say it's, it's more involved than a marriage. You spend more time with them with, than with your spouse and your kids normally if you start that an early stage business because, you know, we're all running 16, 18 hour shifts casually. Uh, that's very important. And other than that, just don't be afraid to try. It's the most, most, most amazing job in the world. Absolutely. Do you have a story you can share from your maybe your, your first 90 or your first 100 days as CPO of Copper? Oh, my. <laughs> the favorite story is that my induction uh, lasted about seven days because the pace of the market we're in, the pace of the digital assets market, as you can imagine, is, is absolutely insane. So I took over a product that is, that is quite robust. It's been developed over the course of around three years. It's very successful. It's very well made. And it's very, very complex and comprehensive. And I had about seven days to take over the role at that point in time. Uh, Dmitry, as the founder, was still kind of filling in the CPO shoes. And he had to go and deal with other things that that, that the growing company CEOs typically have to do, which are quite abundant. And I, I was left there on my own to figure out what to do with this wonderful thing called copper. I think I did reasonably well, but you know, you always remember the lessons of the past and think, damn, I could do this thing better, that that thing better. So there is there is always something. Well, today Copper is one of the largest and most trusted digital asset custodians out there. And sort of by the numbers, I have two here that I can quote. You have over three hundred clients, a lot of them who are asset managers and hedge funds, and you manage well over $10 billion uh, worth of assets under custody. And this spans across, I think, 150 digital assets, right? So what other figures would you mention here to kind of fill in the picture for clients to better understand the growth of copper over the past three years? Well, I can tell you that when I joined, we were at about, if I remember correctly, something between 40 and 50 people. Now we're about 200. Business is growing at an insane pace. The clients seem to like us. And uh, that basically is the most important thing that drives the growth. In, in terms of other, other numbers, you mentioned the number of assets. We actually support about 30, I think the latest number is 37 networks. So the clients of Copper can basically interact with 37 blockchains. 
and about 45 exchanges. And on those 37 blockchains, we were adding the new assets quite, quite often. They go through rather rigorous compliance checks, but other than that, technologically, we're capable, capable to support a very broad range of assets. So we're actually pushing north of 300 right now. If you include everything and everything and all the networks, we support layer two assets and all that. So that's, it's pretty comprehensive and there is a, Pretty robust product suite as well, which basically enables most of our clients who are active traders, active fund managers, very actively involved in trading on a daily basis, not really like buying whole type of investors mostly, but somebody who's very involved, taking advantage of multiple opportunities that crypto presents today. So we basically enable them to do pretty much take advantage of any opportunity out there uh, in most of the cases, 99%, I would say. Yeah, well, you brought us straight to it. I mean, let's talk about copper, what it is, and most importantly, what problem or problems you're trying to solve for those who are active in the crypto space today? Absolutely. So we started as a custodian first. So the, the, there were a couple of issues that are quite important in the crypto space. And you tend to, in the traditional financial markets where I initially came from, you don't even think about them really. Like you don't have a custody problem in traditional financial markets. It's just, it, it's just an ancillary service your broker often provides, right? Your prime broker or your broker, depending on who you are, or an independent custodian. But nevertheless, this is this pre-trade component, which is kind of level playing field for most of the people in the market. Everybody has the same access using the same kind of services. So problems are solved. So we started solving that problem for crypto, which is rather non-trivial. And we went through a few iterations. And today we are an, an MPC-based custodian, multi-party computation-based custodian. Without getting too technical, that means that we actually control the assets, but we do not control the private key fully. The client retains a part of it, and we have mechanisms to make sure that the client can rely on us on a day-to-day flow. But if something goes horribly wrong, they can still access their assets in all cases, even without our participation in, in, in certain disaster situations. That's the essence. That's the backbone of the service. So MPC is basically, I would, I would say, that can be considered a market standard solution for the custody of digital assets today. Now, on the back of it, because at some point in time, the clients moved from trying to solve the problem of storing their assets safe. They were just going around three, four, five years ago, going around, who is the best person to, to keep my assets secure? So that problem is kind of solved. There are a few options. We have a few strong competitors, and there are other approaches to that that other people are employing, but you, you have something to choose from, and all of them are reasonably good on that security front. Now the competition moved to what else can I do with that money that I keep with you guys safely? And because of that, we built an ecosystem of products and services around it. So we now do a lot of other things. We do settlement, we do clearing, we do lending, trading, bunch of other things. We do deep DeFi capabilities and, and interaction with long tail arbitrary smart contracts and things like that. All the beautiful things that blockchain offers and the digital asset ecosystem offers, we provide access to all of that for clients in different in, in different kind of shapes and forms depending on what their preference is. Wow. So that's actually quite a range because I feel like when people think about or or hear about copper, it's definitely a digital as a custodian. Like those three words come to mind. And then those who are of course active with you as customers will include that clearing and settlement layer, which we will get to in just a little bit. But curious about these other aspects though, right? You had mentioned lending, you had mentioned yield yield products, and even DeFi 
as well. And I don't think people necessarily associate a custodian, you know, being fairly active or being integrated into the DeFi ecosystem. So can you just kind of walk us through those points of you know, what, what came first, you know, based on client demand there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that it's still fair to say that the majority of clients come for custody first, because again, this is this is something which is completely essential for for anyone who wants to, for an institution, right, who wants to double in digital assets. I agree with you that people do not necessarily associate a custodial financial services provider or custodial technology provider, so kind of a centralized custodian of assets with decentralized finance. But if you think about it from the institutional point of view, most importantly, when if, if you're a fund who wants to play with DeFi, you need control of your assets. You need control of where the assets can go. Because in crypto, you know, everything is transparent. Just give me the address, I'll send it over. You want to be able to risk manage different profiles. We have clients, for example, who run multi-strategy funds, and they fund small managers who wouldn't have access to institutional finance otherwise, wouldn't be able to access institutional funds. So somebody comes to them with an interesting profile, with an interesting strategy, and they basically say, here is some money, we like the strategy, we think it's, it's sensible, so you do that. As that, that type of fund, you want to be able to provide them with access to the exact things which this strategy involves and make sure they cannot access anything else that the strategy doesn't involve. So for that, you need a custodial wallet, which will keep things safe, which will link to particular smart contracts or particular venues, depending on what they're doing. And that is something we can do for them. We started as a pure kind of custody play, as I said, but for the lack of a better word, we are the platform to manage your assets, not, not in an asset management as, as investing your money kind of thing. But we are a comprehensive solution for somebody, for an institution who wants to be able to do different things in crypto. They come to us and we create the ecosystem for them that, that basically does that. They have control, they have reports, they have access and limitations and policy agent on top of it. And that's all that we can do. So from hearing you speak, it seems like a lot of your clients are funds and active trading firms. Are there other categories of clients as well that you work with and you know kind of utilize other aspects of the copper ecosystem apart from custody, of course? Absolutely. So we do work with exchanges, we work with banks, we work with payment services providers, we work with more kind of institutional like investors, not not very actively trading. We work with family offices and similar providers. So we provide, for example, an OTC trading engine. So a lot of our clients use that whilst they keep our fund their funds in custody. Sometimes they might want to exchange it for something. They need the fiat to crypto on off ramp this or other way around, and they can use an OTC service for that. They could be interested in leveraging their assets, so we provide interface for partner lenders who can lend into our ecosystem, and that provides additional comfort for the client who has some digital assets, they are happy to keep them safe, maybe they want to stake them or something like that, and they would like the, to, to be able to leverage those assets, so just borrow something against them. And that provides the comfort both for the borrower and for the lender that the funds will stay within the enclosed ecosystem and nobody will act outside of their mandate. And or Copper essentially trusts us, is acting as an independent third party, that trust provider in, in that relationship in some, some, some sort of escrow agent sometimes. Well, what questions are these different categories of clients asking you today? I mean, you can even talk about what they were asking you, you know, just about a year ago and now, right? I, I'm sure that 
there is some sort of arc in that maturation of understanding of how to use copper and sometimes even suggesting, hey, copper, could you support such and such feature, right? As a product guy first, this is the, the most uh, popular question for me that, that gets to me at least, right? So we have a very, very capable account management team who basically shields us from a lot of day-to-day kind of operational questions. And they're helping clients. And we, we're a kind of high-touch relationship normally. So they, they talk to the clients a lot and we get a lot of feedback from them. But things that get to me are often, would you support X? Can you guys do that? A lot is around the, the breadth of coverage that I mentioned in the beginning. All of that, basically, I can tell you that 80% of that is done on the basis of the popular requests from the clients. So we are very reactive and we actually probably, if you ask around, we probably have a reputation of people who are happy to listen and, and react to that, to the popular client demand. So we tend to, I would even go on the limb and say that most of the things that we've built, at least the idea didn't come from us. So we may, may have found a decent solution better than what the client initially envisaged. But somebody came to us at some point and said, hey, I have this problem. Hey, I have this idea. And we picked it up and, and productized it and, and created a, a product and a business around it. And that, that's kind of the way we try to run it. And that, that's my motto of, of, of trying to do things still. Well, I guess, how do you how do you prioritize, right? Like, say there's something on the DeFi side that someone wants you to support. And then there's some something that is completely unrelated, but still in, in high demand. But you only have so many people. I know you have 200 people, but still within the product team, right? I mean, you can never have too many hands on deck building things. So in those situations, especially when the market is hot, lots of trading is going on. What's the decision making process there? That is the, the hardest part of the of product job of any product role, right? Because you have so many great things you would really, really love to do, but you have to you have to pick and choose. And there are commercial priorities and there are product priorities which are to some extent aligned, but sometimes conflicting. And we worked a lot with a business development team, for example, to figure out what is what is currently more important for us as, as a business. So do we need to support that particular thing for those particular clients? Or do we, do we go after the kind of big picture questions like, is this product good? Should we invest a little bit more into scalability or should we invest a little bit more into, in, in, into other things? Or should we support a couple of other things which are currently top 20 on coin market cap or that thing that, that five of our clients or 10 of our clients are asking for at the same time? So that's, that, that's your day to day. And there is no kind of hard and fast rule. You try to analyze, you try to analyze things and try to analyze the commercial impact and, and also the, the, the kind of the more long term, long term importance of a particular feature. We have our roadmap, which lasts for about 36 months. Obviously, you know, the market in 36 months in crypto is something is nothing what you have envisaged 36 months ago. So we treat it with a, with a kind of a pinch of salt and we try to keep our minds open to the market feedback. But ultimately, we try to make sure that whatever we are, we are considering doing has some kind of relevance to that strategic direction of the product, strategic direction where the company is going. And then there are tons of tactical considerations. What is more important? What is popular? What are people asking for? And can we get away without it? Do we really need to support it? Yeah, that makes sense. So earlier you talked about clear loop. Well, you talked more about it from a, describing it as a custody and settlement, or sorry, clearing and settlement solution. And I think that's one of the 
main differentiating points uh, versus potentially other vendors where it's it's proprietary, it's integrated in the way that you know people are able to deal with other counterparties in a trustless way, in a safe way. So can you talk a bit more about the Clearloop solution? And then from there, we can kind of go into our partnership as well, talking about the FlexUSD integration in Clearloop. Yeah, absolutely. Clearloop is probably, to my mind, the most interesting product we have. And currently, to the best of my knowledge, as a network, it's probably quite unique. I'm, I'm aware of some people trying to replicate it for a while, but I don't think anybody has an alternative to it in the market just yet. In essence, it solves a, a sort of an old problem, which is which is a bit odd and unique to the crypto space. So in traditional finance, exchanges have never been their own custodians, really, for a very long time. In crypto, because of the way the market was born in the beginning, that due to the necessity rather than choice, exchanges decided that the only way to enforce settlement of the transaction that happened on the platform, in the absence of any legal frameworks or anything else back in 2010 in the crypto space, the only way to do it is actually to, to have asset at your disposal, to have asset in your custody. So that problem is kind of no more. So as of today, there are plenty of reputable providers like ourselves who could potentially solve that problem for the exchange. What exchanges do best is they release cool products and they create markets for them. So they match people, here's the bid, here's the offer, and, and, and push the volumes through the, through the screen. That's what the exchanges have traditionally done better than anyone else in the market. And really, that's, that's what drives the exchange's revenue. We do the funding. So Clearloop is essentially a system that enables the both the exchange and the client to kind of enter into exactly the same relationship from the trading standpoint, but while the assets will be kept at copper in our secure custody, cold, warm, hot, whatever the client's choosing is, and they will be held pledged to the exchange in respect to the position which are currently opened on the exchange. That provides the clients with additional comfort because exchanges quite often based in best case scenario, they have legal entities. Sometimes they don't. So they're placed in sometimes in reputable jurisdictions like Hong Kong or somewhere else where people might not be able to, might not be able, even from the compliance standpoint, just their policies do not allow them to face somebody who is based in the jurisdiction of, of the exchanges choosing. They might have some kind of restrictions on the credit risk they're able to take on, on a single venue. And that's why keeping substantial amount of money, you often have to be absolutely fully funded on the exchange. And you have to pre-fund a bunch of venues makes it very difficult from the from both risk and operational and compliance standpoint. So we solve for that. The clients would keep funds at Copper. They will continue trading directly with the exchange as they normally do using the exchange's user interface or the API, whatever their preference is. And we will do everything between ourselves and the exchange, such as CoinFlex. We will do basically everything with settlement, clearing, and make sure that everybody ends up whole and the client's activity on the exchange is at the end of the day reflected in what is kept in the client's balance and what, what is kept on the exchange. Another one of my sponsors is Amber Group. Amber Group is an integrated crypto finance platform behind the popular Amber app, a crypto finance app that allows you to easily earn, swap, trade and invest in crypto. You can earn up to 5% APY instantly by depositing assets to your wallet and receive daily interest payouts. This means earning interest 24-7 with no lockup. You can also customize fixed income investments between 1 and 360 days to enjoy up to 10% APR with flexible redemptions. Right now, new users can earn up to 16% APR on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USD stablecoins. 
Go and download Amber app at www.ambercrypto.com and earn interest on your own terms. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the major headaches around institutional adoption is, you know, especially if a team does not have someone who's dedicated to manage the operations of trading crypto assets, they delegate that to a third party provider, such as a custodian, right, who can enable the kind of flow of assets across multiple venues. So yeah, definitely, I see that as a benefit. And, you know, I guess one question would be, would you guys consider yourselves a prime broker in any way or utilizing the technology that a prime broker would need to facilitate institutions who are coming into this space? That is an interesting question. And I think the, the kind of the baseline here is what is a prime broker in the digital asset space? And is it exactly the same type of organization or the same type of service as it is in traditional finance? In traditional finance, prime brokers do, do a lot, but really it's not a single service. It's, it's a package of services that primes provide to hedge funds, for example. And that includes a lot of, on the consultancy side, it includes obviously the infrastructure, trading, leveraging, and, 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 and other things that you would normally get from your prime. So we certainly do some of the components of that. That's for sure. So we do custody for one. We provide access currently to the OTC markets. We're considering if we can, for example, partner with someone to provide access to the trading venues directly as well. If that's the client's choosing, we have the margin lending product via partner lenders. We, we do not use our own balance sheet to lend right now, but we, we provide that type of infrastructure, at least for somebody who would like to lend to the, to the, to the trader, basically. So we do provide components of Prime. The question that I have, and I don't think anybody has the, the answer to that just yet, is what will the prime brokerage service look like, really, when somebody has established themselves as a, as a proper full-on multi-venue prime in the crypto space? What would that service look like? As an example, on the execution side, for, for instance, which is a big part of what prime brokers do, access to the markets, access to, the, access to various opportunities, in the crypto space, you can go on and do that yourself on the exchange, right? On the flip side, the liquidity here is very fragmented. So if you want to trade Apple share, you basically need NASDAQ and, and you're good. But if you want to trade Bitcoin, there are probably at least 10, 15 venues you, you care about, at least you keep an eye on that. So you might not be actually providing access to the market. You're not enabling someone to trade those instruments altogether, but you're providing some kind of single aggregated exchange API as some of the OMS providers are doing. So you're you're that side of the service, you're that part of the value chain. Are we a prime broker for now? Probably not. Do we do a lot of things that primes do? Yes. Maybe it will turn out that what we do is actually crypto prime brokerage in the end. But we still feel there is a lot of space for growth. And I know that a lot of people approach it from very different angles. We started as a custodian. Landers say we can become a prime broker in the crypto space. Execution venues say we can be a prime broker in the crypto space. Custodians say the same thing. Let's see how it plays out. That's the exciting thing about crypto. Yeah, I really like that framing there. All right. So let's talk about our partnership that we have together, CoinFlex and Copper. Through this partnership, we are bringing FlexUSD to the institutions in Copper's network, which allow the firms that we've been talking about, right, to access yield in a fairly unique way. So perhaps you can set the foundation here and talk about how you started introducing yield generation products 
to your clients, right? What were the initial asks from a product perspective? You know, at what point in time did you start to get lots and lots of requests coming through? And how has that narrative changed over the years? Yeah, absolutely. So that thing I was talking about before is once you, you have your money safe, it's like you're coming to the bank and one bank you're, you're going to, like here in London, you're going to HSBC, for example, and they tell you, we can keep your funds safe. And then you go across the road to Barclays and they say, we can keep your funds safe and we'll also pay 2% per annum on it. But it's a pretty simple choice, right? Like if you believe that both of them keep your assets equally safe. So that's kind of what happened in, in crypto maybe a couple of couple of years ago when that, that safety, the custody, the security problem was arguably solved. So people are starting to ask, like, how do I how do I make the most of my assets while they're sitting in your safe custody? And in crypto, there are at least three, four different ways to make to make yield, right? You can stake things, you can lend things, you can provide liquidity to DeFi protocols and yield farm. And there are plenty of things you can do even before you get into the, the whole money, DeFi money Lego situation when there are lots of complexities and lots of different strategies to optimize your, your, your real potential. In the beginning, it was more about like, oh, cool, I can make some money on my money. That's, that's amazing. Where do I sign? Nowadays, it's a little bit different. People understood that sometimes the, the borrowers, the borrower lenders, sometimes they're not being particularly responsible with the funds. So there is no clear clarity and transparency in what is happening with the funds. So the question is, now now people are scrutinizing the risk they're taking. So they say, yeah, that's great, but we want to know what is behind that yield that we're making. Who is the risk we're taking? What are you exactly going to do? We want to see that any rehypothecation ratios or whatever you guys feel, feel is, is sensible. And we want to have control of that and we want to have visibility. So traditional kind of very kind of dark pool lending markets of 2017, they are losing popularity and obviously the more institutional the market gets and that's that's kind of the trend we're all following, the more important that will be to understand what exactly, where exactly your yield is coming from. Makes sense. So with FlexUSD, which is CoinFlex's stablecoin, you know, this is a stablecoin that pays holders of FlexUSD interest at the base layer three times a day, so every eight hours. How does integrating FlexUSD enhance Copper's existing suite of yield generation products? CoinFlex is a member of our Clearloop network, so clients can access trading on FlexUSD via the Clearloop network, which means, again, that uh, funds may be kept safe in our custody while the client is trading on, on CoinFlex. So the easiest way to access a FlexUSD yield through our platform is to deposit some funds with us, let's say a stable coin or anything along those lines, delegate it to CoinFlex and uh, swap it to FlexUSD and start receiving those double-digit yields that FlexUSD is currently providing and get paid out every every eight hours, as you said, at the base layer. That's as simple as that. So for us, that, that is an opportunity for the clients to access quite a transparent market. So we know everybody kind of knows where the yield is coming from, right? The, the FlexUSD is running a rather robust triple market, which is growing. We're following the volumes and we're quite impressed with what you guys have achieved. So we understand the clients can understand where the yield is coming from. They can track the repo market on, 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 on a live basis and they have that transparency they're looking for. It's, it's interesting, the stablecoin narrative, right? Because when I ask the question, what are other stablecoins paying? So is wait a minute, isn't it eight to ten percent, right? And we have to, you know, stop and pause and go. Well, yes, that's if you lend it out to someone, an institution, a platform, and you know they will pay you 
a rate in exchange, right? For kind of giving up custody of your assets there. And so what's what's beautiful about FlexUSD and kind of plays to the ethos of Copper as well as a custodian is that you don't have to have assets or you don't have to have the FlexUSD on CoinFlex in order to earn that yield because it's paid on chain. You can hold it in your MetaMask wallet. You can hold it with your custodian. You can hold it, you know, in a vault somewhere that no one knows about and still earn that yield. So I think that non-custodial aspect, if it is the case that, you know, you're not that familiar with CoinFlex, for example, but still get the benefit, right, of being a FlexUSD holder. And that is just a very different experience from just calling yourself a stablecoin holder, right, USDC or USDT, because for the first time, you find that there is utility with a stablecoin from a yield generating perspective. Because up until this point, people have seen the use case for stablecoins as a funding currency, right? It's a very, very popular denomination for, for trading across all sorts of venues. And it's, it's overtaken Bitcoin, by the way, which is uh, for, for those who are kind of newer to crypto and, and tuning in. Early on in the markets, you know, Bitcoin was the dominant currency that you would trade uh, against for the pairs. So, yeah, wondering what your take is on this, you know, that, that kind of change in narrative when it comes to why stablecoins are useful in crypto. That is, that is a very interesting question. So, and, and also, you know, another thing I want, to, I want to do a bit of a segue to central bank digital currencies, which is another popular narrative in crypto these days which is probably still three to five years away from us. But the stable coins, the way you described it as a kind of as, as a funding asset without any particular utility value. If CBDCs come over, this is probably that is the use case that they're going to cover in much in much more comprehensive way. Right. But the backing of the central bank. And that's why probably you can see quite clearly the central banks across the world now and the regulators across the world are very closely looking at the whole stable coin market. Everybody is that that's probably if there is a single point of focus for the regulators in crypto right now, aside from pure ML, that, that's probably the one that's going to be stable coins. Now, what you guys are doing is quite different, which is interesting. So there, there is obviously a need for a stable asset in crypto, which is very important. If you're a trader, if you sell back to, basically, if your fund is denominated in dollars, it's good if you raise raise Bitcoin, for example. If you're crypto to crypto, your investors are crypto natives and you're raising Bitcoin and your performance is calculated in Bitcoin. So how, how many more Bitcoin you made for your lending strategies? Great. But most of the capital out there is still in US dollars or other fiat currencies. And uh, the reporting that you will have to present to your investors at the end of the day isn't that. So if something is going on in the market and you don't want to have an exposure to it at this point in time, you want to sit out, what are you sitting in? The crypto on off ramp, can be a little bit difficult. Banks can get difficult. You're still facing a lot of a lot of operational issues. Fiat is still, as we know, five days a week. If you need to transfer someone some value on Saturday afternoon, you probably prefer to do it with USDC and not with the actual US dollar. If that's a substantial value that doesn't just go through you know faster payments or something like that. So, what do you sell back to? You need that stable asset for sure. You need something which is pegged to whatever your you are your performance is measured in, or whatever you are measuring your life in, for that matter. For neobank customers, they don't really care about the performance currency, but that's kind of you know their clients thinking, and that's still real money what they what they measure in everything in. Having in yield and having some kind of utility attached to that 
that is very interesting. And I do not, I do not really know. I think the cool thing about crypto is some, sometimes new concepts come out and you cannot really say you can, you have a gut feel that there is something in it and you cannot quite pin it down just yet. And that is, I had that feeling when I, when I spoke to one of your founders about FlexUSD for the first time. And that kind of sparked our interest in that. We were like, okay, there is, there is something in it. That is more that feels more native to the market than the, the stable coins, which are basically proxy to, to traditional currencies. And that could be a blessing, that could be a curse in some ways. Maybe you will have less attention of attention from the regulators than, for example, the, the, the guys at Circle. Maybe at the same time they will see it as, as an additional risk. But I'm I'm sure that the clients will find additional utility in it. And we, we think there is a lot of potential. I wouldn't be able to right now say these are three use cases. But there is something in it, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I mean, to wrap up here, you know, let's let's dovetail off of that last point, right? There are crypto native innovations that are popping up every couple seasons, right? We had the whole uh, DeFi summer and then yield farming. And of course, the popularity of automated market makers, of course, which is a primitive that now even centralized exchanges such as ourselves are trying to kind of iterate upon, right? And build a more hybrid model. So what are some primitives that you're excited about, you know, that you did not, you know, for one second thing could exist, but now after being in the crypto industry for a number of years are pleasantly surprised, you know, have just kind of popped up and are being utilized and, and traded on by hundreds, thousands even of crypto traders. I don't even know. I'm still very excited about basically all of it. The, the feeling we get is that we barely scratch the surface of what can be done with decentralized finance, for example. And decentralized finance, if you think about it, is regulators think it's some kind of a new realm of things where you can identi- cannot identify and there is no entity behind that, so that makes their life very difficult. But really, it's just another smart contract on, on Ethereum network, on some other network, which works in a particular way and somebody designed it and suddenly people find it so useful that they put a few billions of assets behind it. What's coming next? So we have decentralized exchanges, we have lending, we have a bit of synthetic derivatives, and we have we have a few other things down there. What else can be done with that decentralized finance paradigm when basically, which is the, the purest form of peer-to-peer finance, which is in existence just yet. I remember when I when I launched my first venture in 2016, then peer-to-peer lending was was a thing. And two years down the line, people could see that, you know, there are limitations to that model. And now suddenly DeFi pops out on the side of it, which kind of follows the same paradigm. Can we create some kind of decentralized market when people can trade against other people and we do not need a trusted sort of party in between? And it picks up at, at, at a completely different pace. What, what else can be done? Lending is the, obviously the backbone of a lot of things that are happening in the economy. Trading as well. What else hasn't been hasn't been realized? We're looking. We know that a couple of companies are doing decentralized custody, for example. And obviously, us being a custodian kind of first, we're still we're we're looking at that as well. Can that be done? We feel it's more of a probably complementary model to what we do than competition, and we're looking into potential partnerships and things like that. But that is so interesting, and there are plenty of other things that you could potentially do. I don't know. It's hard to envisage, as you said. Actually, now that you mentioned it, I mean, what is, what are the early days of decentralized custody look like right now? And just give us some insights from your early conversations. It's it's pretty interesting, right? So again, that feels as as a very native concept to where we are, to the space where we are. 
people in crypto, there are still plenty of people in crypto who are not happy with any kind of a centralized counterparty doing anything and meddling in their affairs, right? So be that a centralized exchange, be that a centralized custodian. They do not necessarily agree that that's a good thing. We feel that at least when it goes to the institutional side of things, after all, institution wants to know who they have to sue if things go south. And the regulators want to know who they can go after if things go south. They want the appointed individual. They want the appointed firm registered, regulated, under their purview and oversight. And they know exactly what to do and whom to call if, if they have any concerns or doubts. So we still feel that's probably the, the bigger parts of the market over the next few years. Now, the decentralized custody when basically your separate access across various entities, which you do not really need to know who these entities are. And that sort of makes it as decentralized as possible. So the less the less control and knowledge you have over where your key material lies, for example, and if the service can programmatically basically assemble that into a signed transaction after all, that sounds great. That sounds computationally complex. That sounds like there are some people who might still be not comfortable with it, but that will definitely have some traction. And we know that some of our clients, for example, have invested in those concepts. They're still using us as a primary custodian, but we know that they're interested and they're keeping an eye on that. And I, I personally find it fascinating. I know that on the institutional side of things, that might not be that, that kind of the next big thing this year, but will it be the preeminent concept 10, 20 years down the line? Possibly so. Who knows? Well, I mean, the first feature that comes to mind, which I go, well, how will that work with de- uh, you know fully decentralized custody is the good old KYC AML, right? Does that require a whole digital identity, you know, online reputation to be built, like a new form of that to be built to accommodate that type of structure, decentralized structure. And yeah, it's just it's just fascinating. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but it's definitely not the proof of address, papers, right? Bank statements. <laughs> That's the whole point. That's the whole reason why people won't want to use, you know, or will want to eventually use de- decentralized custody. It's funny you say that. Actually, a lot of a lot of concepts in decentralized finance and more broadly in digital assets. When you start thinking about them, the, the thing that will unlock tremendous value that they offer is the fully kind of verifiable digital identity. And there is a lot of interesting work on, on the more on the research side is going on on that front. So there is a W3C consortium that has a work group called Verifiable Credentials. There is a whole self-sovereign identity movement that is doing amazingly interesting things. Like I'm, I'm when I'm watching some of their meetups, it takes me like three cycles to figure out what the hell is going on. And it's all extremely fascinating. And that, that's one of those primitives I'm, by the way, you were asking before, I'm quite excited about. But that is such a major overall of the way we kind of, we run our economy and the way we run our countries. That it will take years, if not decades. Uh, but that, that is most certainly in some shape or form that the next big thing, but just maybe not the next, but a few things down the line. And on the, on the current kind of going back to the current affairs, there is this term that people are coining in uh, modern finance when basically it's a bit of a mix between the decentralized and centralized concepts. So if you look at what decentralized protocols do right now, as an example, Aave has that thing they launched called Aave Pro, which basically implies that people like ourselves, basically people like Copper and some other trusted parties, trusted reputable parties in the in the crypto ecosystem can essentially become whitelisters and allow capital to enter the liquidity pools and to the trading markets. Kind of a gatekeepers. So you have the decentralized finance 
on the back of it. So you're building on top of it, but essentially you become the, you create that sort of the essence of the locked box that regulators like so much when you can control somebody controls money getting in and out, but everything happening inside it is, is not happening because somebody is crossing the bar in the cellar, like in the case of like conflicts of the centralized exchange, there is a DEX on the back of it, but access to that DEX is controlled. That's one way of looking at it, one way of doing that. Super fascinating. I mean, thought experiments, I think, are the most fun part of being in crypto because you can pull anyone from any department, from any product vertical, and just jam on what's possible, right? And, and you know, hybrid solutions, I think, are kind of this, this next wave now. It's not, let's separate, let's innovate here and let's innovate there. But now how can we merge tools? you know, and innovations and primitives and go back to something that you mentioned earlier, right? Actually really begin to think about these so-called money Legos of DeFi and that how that can improve the infrastructure that is already built out kind of in our land, which is the more centralized finance or can we call it traditional crypto? I don't know these days <laughs> what, what labels we can put to that, but really excited to be working with Copper Alex. And, and I'm sure through this partnership, what people will be introduced to is a new way of accessing crypto yield. And if we can just get that narrative out there, you know, get people's sort of interest peaked at kind of this second generation of, of getting yield, whether that be through DeFi or, or CeFi or the mix of both, then I think it'll be a fairly big win for us both. So really appreciate your partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We're very excited about the partnership too. We, for us, uh, Clearloop Exchanges are some of our closest partners and we, we are very keen to ex expand the partnership and we think CoinFlex is one of the more interesting exchanges out there. If you look at the growth trajectory between last year when we kind of integrated first and today, that's pretty amazing what you guys have done and we are very excited about it and, and happy to support further growth. Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks, Leslie.